From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. Really exciting episode for you guys today. We got John Rain Waters, host of the Afterburn podcast and retired Air Force F-16 pilot. For the new listeners, my name is Ian Scotto. And I am Chris Peranto. Yeah, and we talk to guys in the military community, guys and women in the Second Amendment community. And uh, yeah, before we get into everything, um, we got a few things to get into. Some unfortunate news that I sent you last night. I originally sent you from a CBS affiliate. Um, which I, I believe they originally said it was four Marines. And now from what I'm seeing is five Marines from this article in the New York Times. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, the latest article I've seen from the New York Times from Eduardo Medina. Uh, mil- military plane carrying five Marines crashes in California, officials say. It was not immediately clear how many survived the crash, and officials said the plane, an MV-22B Osprey that belonged to the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing, crashed in a remote area 100 miles east of San Diego. A military aircraft carrying five U.S. Marines crashed in Southern California on Wednesday, according to a spokesman for the U.S. Marine Corps. It was not immediately clear how many survived the crash. Uh, The spokesman, First Lieutenant Duane Campus, said the aircraft, an MV-22B Osprey that belonged to the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing, crashed at about 1 p.m. in a remote area near Highway 78 and Coachella Canal Road which is near the Naval Air Facility in El Centro, California, about 100 miles east of San Diego, the authorities said. The cause of the crash was under investigation. The Naval Air Facility in El Centro said that contrary to initial reports, there was no nuclear material on board the aircraft. So they were originally saying that, and I guess there wasn't. Um, Multiple agencies and emergency medical workers responded to the crash site, uh, said Gil Revelar, a spokesman for the Imperial County Sheriff's Office, The crash came almost three months after four Marines were killed in Norway during a NATO training exercise while using the same type of aircraft, an MV-22B, which can be operated as a helicopter or turboprop aircraft, uh, according to the U.S. Navy. The aircraft's main use for the U.S. Marine Corps is the transportation of troops, equipment, and supplies from ships and land bases for combat assault and assault support, according to the U.S. Navy. In late March, a small U.S. Navy plane crashed alongside uh, Virginia's eastern shore. I believe we covered that, killing one crew member and injuring two others. That plane was an E-2D Hawkeye. So, man, I I don't know what to say beyond what I said the last time we covered a story like this. And you could speak more to this. But I think, as you always say, guys know what they sign up for going into the military. But I think that uh, dying in combat is something that you can expect. I don't think anyone expects this to happen just in training in California. You know, yeah, you, you, you don't actually, when you're training, you really don't think, you don't think you're ever going to die in training. 
I don't think there's a lot of us think we're ever going to die in combat either, but the, yeah. but the, the realization and most military guys are realists. Most, most of the military, even if they are the biggest goose in the world, they're, they're, they're realists. They know that it's a possibility, but you don't ever think it isn't training because it's training. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a weird mindset. It's not like it, it's not like you, it doesn't happen because we see it happen. Some have experienced, but it's still, it's like, well, I got the best equipment you, you hope, which is what you feel like, especially in the aviation side, not to say in the aviation side, they do a great job having the best equipment out there. Ospreys though, I, they, they ran into issues when they first came out about the, because they are a rotary wing and a fixed wing all in one, you know, they they were a helicopter and a plane all in one and, and the airflow and all that, they couldn't figure it out. Now they did. And, and Ospreys actually have been proven in combat. So they're used readily in combat. But there's still, I, I always thought, man, there's still a chance this thing if it could go down because of because of how it's designed. But I'm not an engineer. And that's something we asked, we asked uh, John, <laughs> yeah. John, shit. We asked yeah. John about it because he'll know a lot more about it than we will. But also, guys, there's a lot of things that get put into place for training. And you do a risk assessment. Man, we have risk assessment cards that we have to do. Any leader has to go through to check to make sure the training's safe. So, you know, I... I, I just think it, it comes down. There's a lot of training that goes on out there. It's dangerous to train. You know, it is, it still is, whether you're fast roping out of helicopters, whether you're repelling, whether you're just flying in the air, uh, it's, it's fairly dangerous. We try to do it in normal conditions, but did it say the conditions were they just okay? No, that I didn't, I didn't. See, hear. That's, that's what we need to know. Cause we do train in austere conditions cause you have to learn how to fight in austere conditions. So maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm just what ifing, but maybe the conditions weren't weren't good. And and we as humans, we're still fallible. We are. We, we make yeah. mistakes. And and sometimes those mistakes in the military uh, kill us. It, it, it does. So that's just that's just the realism of it. I'm not trying to be cold hearted. I'm just saying that's how it is. But to, to those that died and get away from that, you know, God bless. And they were still serving their country honorably. And, and um, I know their, their troops are going to miss them and I know their families are, and, and, but they still, whether it was combat or not, they still were serving this country honorably yeah. and doing it in a place that it is tough to train out there, especially flying, especially in those areas they were at with Southern California, just dust storms and the heat and all that, just, it compounds the training, hence why the Marines train out there. It, it's tough to train out there, except in Pendleton. Sorry guys, San Diego is not <laughs> tough to train. I'm kidding guys, but, but, but it is tough to train out in the desert out there. And those those conditions come up, but that's why they train out there because it's tough to train out there. Yeah, I you know when you, when you talk about the uh, the idea of you don't think about it in training. I mean, I think they it's don't. the same thing you don't think about when you get in a plane. You don't think about it when you get in a car. I mean, but I think when you're in combat, it might be a little different. When you're in it combat. Is. There's a pos- There's always that possibility. So, but yeah, as you said, rest in peace to these five Marines who are serving. Um, in uh, you know, in in I guess happier news, of course, I wanted to talk about your last training course in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, and, yeah. and the cool thing that was different <laughs> about it was I got to meet Jesse Fenley at the Copper Ticket event, which I'm wearing the shirt for. Yeah. And uh, this is the first time you had him on board as a trainer, and I think people might be wondering how it all went. I think Jesse's awesome. The the two young guys we have, and sorry, Ben, you're not young. Ben Morgan, another one of our instructors at the leads. <laughs> We're not young, Ben. Me and you are older rangers now. But getting the young guys on with like Michael Billings and Jesse Fenley, it well, reminds I, me. I, I, Jesse's significantly younger, though, than, than Michael. He, lo- he right? looks. He looks really young. He looks young, very young. But he's, he's just got that baby face. I don't know the exact age, but he's not like 21 he's, years older. 
Yeah, but he's got to be in his twenties, right? Yeah, he's in his twenties, and and yeah. you know, Michael, I don't think Mike's just in his low thirties. I don't think he's very, you know, I think he's younger than you, brother, Michael. Really? He, okay, yeah. It's just he's but, got one of those those you know the guys that lose their hair. It's just one of the young guys lose their. But hair. I just Jesse, yeah, is the first yeah. guy I think you've had in in, in his twenties as a trainer. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it, and it's just with Battle Line, we've gone through a lot of instructors that we've used, and and it just it, it it's just the fit's got to be there. You got to have that gel, and and the humility and, and that he has. And of course he's a great trainer. That's, that's no doubt there. And he's a great shooter. You saw that he's tremendous, but I look for more than just that. It's the intangibles of, of of smiling of, I I do look, I I do like guys that have a lot of faith and he does. He has a, and have us has stable families. He does. He has a tremendous wife and that is admirable to me. It shows integrity and that integrity transfers over to the training and the trainer itself. And, so that was also a plus. So that's why we've kind of gone through some instructors that great instructors, but they, it just, the, the, the gel for everybody didn't mesh. And I'll be honest, man, Tulsa, I think we've got it finally figured out, got down where everybody, cause we had everybody there. It was me and Ben Morgan was there. Jeremy Mitchell was there. Michael Billings was there and Jesse. And it was, I, I wanted it to, to where it came down where if I, you know, if I'm not there, they can still run it. And it actually happened. I was like, they they had their stuff. I didn't even tell them what to do. It's just got it for doing it. And that that's beautiful. And that to me tells me that I'm not needed. And that's what I want to feel like as, as a leader or an instructor or anything, you want to feel like you're not needed because the guys you're working with have got it. You don't have to worry about it. And that's how it was. But Jesse itself, yeah, he's awesome. Him and Mike and Ben together over there where they're doing the they're doing the live fire stuff. I was doing all the housework, all the all the, the room clearing stuff. They did an awesome job. And, and I, guys, I, I, I implore you come to a battle line course or come to an E3 firearms course. Cause battle line will be the training element for that, for a lot of it. Um, and you're going to train with Jesse and Mike and Ben and myself, uh, and you're going to, you're going to have fun, but you're going to learn a lot. And they like to get physically, they're physically active. So yeah. that that's, that's huge with battle line. You got to have some, you got to be physically active to come to a course. And, and um, yeah, it, it was awesome, man. I, I was one Iron Gal Farms there at Eddie Ranji's place. That's another great range to, tra- range to train it. I hope you get to come to one of those. We do it again, Ian. You'll love it out there. It's it's it's, it's like out here. Just yeah. it is city because we're near Tulsa, but it's it's like coming to this place here in, in Fort Defense. Just the, the 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 just the feeling you get coming out in the Midwest. And and um, yeah, man, it was tremendous. I, I can't wait. We got another course coming up July 9th and 10th with me and Mike Ritchie, who's our medic. We do it, but we're doing a stop the bleed one day room clearing course and and Kansas. Yeah, in Kansas. And you're gonna have you guys, you'll have a lot of fun. And and Jesse and Mike will be coming to more battle line courses. So if you see them on there, you're gonna learn from them, but you're also gonna have a great time with them. And you're gonna take something away from the course, even more so than just just tactics and firearms. Yes, yeah, so go to uh, tontosgearlocker.com. You can still mm-hmm. sign up for that one, and, and you'll see all the courses on the horizon, of, of which there's there's less than last year, to be yeah. honest. And, you know, you're you're winding it down a little bit compared to where you were last year. But <laughs> I think in terms of it means for people who want to go, yeah, if, if you need to travel a few miles, you guys are going to make it worth their while. So yeah. uh, so come out. Yeah, tontosgearlocker.com. Um if anyone, I know most of our audience doesn't really do social media. I just see from, you know, people who listen. But uh, for those who do, you may have seen I posted on Instagram. I, I was at uh, Sally's a Pizza. Yeah. And it's called a pizza. <laughs> Very Italian. But uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, it was the most random of things because of the fact that Ricky Rackman, 
uh, who you guys may remember from MTV <laughs> Headbangers Ball, tweeted out that he was going to be there with uh, Jamie Josta after he did Jamie Josta's podcast. And uh, I know that Ricky is a friend of Gary Brugman, like a longtime yeah. friend. So I was like, wow, that's awesome. I, I, I want to be there. But <laughs> then he tweeted out the next day. He was like, I'm going to be there at 333 if anyone wants to come out. So I came out and I had pizza with Jamie Joster from Hate Breed and, Hate Breed and Ricky Rackman and two uh, like two other people. It was it was pretty cool. Pretty nice. like small experience. And the reason he's doing it, though, I, sh- I should throw out there. So Ricky does a ride pretty much every year for a different charity. Yeah. I thought this one was for veteran um, suicide. The last one was for, for okay. that. And I spoke to him about it and they raised tens of thousands of dollars for veteran suicide. This is a different one. And I actually printed out, you know, if any of you guys want to donate to the GoFundMe, I mean, he's traveling all across America doing this basically. I think he started in LA and now he's all the way in Connecticut and he's going out to New Hampshire and he loves this. Like he lives for this, to just ride every year and um yeah this is from the gofundme just to give you an idea of what it is it says uh for 2022 and i have the patches here that he gave me the ride 2022 i thought veteran suicide is 22 but i i think it's just 2022 um but yes so it says ricky rackman leah vendetta and leah is his girlfriend she's a tattoo artist she was on ink master Uh, i didn't see her there but i think she's joining him for some of it uh, they ride across America for the Victory Junction Gang. This year, Ricky and Leah will be raising money for the Victory Junction Camp. The Victory Junction Camp is a place where children with serious illness get the opportunity to experience the joys of childhood and forget about being sick for a while. Victory Junction gives chronically ill children ages 6 to 16 the chance to experience a fun and empowering camping environment where physicians and volunteers properly attend to their medical needs These children have chronic medical conditions and serious illnesses, including but not limited to autism, cancer, craniofacial, uh, facial anomalies, uh, diabetes, hemophilia, sickle sickle cell anemia, or spina bifida. Although the cost of sending a child to camp is valued at $2,500, no child or family incurs this cost thanks to the continued support of generous donors. Um, So that's basically what he's doing. He has a GoFundMe if you look up the ride. 2022 with Ricky Rackman and Leah Vendetta. And of course, being that he just met us for pizza, I, I threw in some money for the charity yeah. as well. I mean, cause that's, that's why he's doing this. And he was a cool guy. We got to talk about all different things. We talk, I, I told him I was a friend of Gary Brugman and he said, I'll quote, he, he said, I love Gary, but I can't talk politics with him. <laughs> and uh, are, are, are they, I mean, Gary is a huge, still a huge Trumper, right? Is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And as Ricky, I mean, is, he gave him a pardon. I understand. I, I guess you kind of have to be that. But is, is Ricky, does he talk politics at all? I, I, the reason I said, I used to, you know, I grew up on, on Headbangers Ball yeah. and, and watching Ricky Rackman with all the hairband. And, and so I, I guess I never thought him being political, period. At all. I'm sure I don't think he has. is. I, I think he's a lot like you where he doesn't want to talk politics. Because just, the thing is, I mentioned Battleline podcast to him. And I have mentioned to him before on Twitter. And I think he kind of blew, blew me off on Twitter. And I think it was because he assumes I don't want to get into politics. And he even said to me, he's like, if I come on, I don't want to talk politics. And I was and like, did we you, wouldn't talk you, po- I was yeah, like, we would definitely not talk politics. But <laughs> I know he's a guy who cares about veterans, cares about causes like these, you know, and, and has an amazing story. So I'd love to get him. Yeah, I, and Ricky, we don't. I, I think that's great. With, we we don't. I don't want to get into politics. I'm not in. I think it's they see Tano and they just assume Benghazi and Hillary. You know, I 
I wish people would. There's nothing political about being left behind. It's just how it was. And because they're politicians now, we just assume it's political. No, I'm not in any party. I think both parties can do a lot of soul searching and fixing. So I, I, I'd love to have him. Have, and if he watches this, I'd love to have you on the show. I know Ian, of course, would love to have you on the oh, show. Yeah. And just because I grew up on all that stuff. I grew up on your MTV because that's when MTV was actually MTV. When it was, I would like to get his take on what, on what he thinks MTV is now compared to back then. Uh, and Because uh, I, I don't think it even holds a candle to how it was back then. That of was course. the great days, man. Headbangers Ball and when music was still music people playing their own instruments a ton and you just it was fun man it was it was all fun and debauchery and good times and <laughs> and it grew up on that and that's what high school was like you know you got headbangers ball and then right after that came you on tv raps so you had the best of both worlds you got the the, the metal you but you've also got the hair bands and then you've got the gangster rap i mean i i grew i i i'm blessed that i grew up on that music and that's because i'm glad i got to experience both of that so you go to high school you either had nwa playing or motley crew playing or white snake i mean it was just it was all, or the and then the beastie boys out of nowhere trying to mix it all up so it was it was yeah i'd love to have him on the show dude. i think it'd be fantastic to just get his take on on everything and but let's take mostly on music television and if it's any better i don't i think music mtv sucks i watch mtv yeah. 80s I, now but i don't watch the regular stuff I think he would agree. And and I think, you know, now that he's doing podcasts and Jamie Jost is doing podcasts, you know, yeah. they're they're in that whole world now. And I got to talk to them about that whole world and that they were they were actually telling me and I won't say names, of course, but about like certain guests who have blown them off. And then they hear them on the local radio station. And Jamie's like, dude, he could have come on my podcast and talked to like tens of thousands of people. And we would have talked about interesting things. And then he goes in this stupid show and, you know, they ask him the same fucking questions we've heard a million times before. And so like, I, I think they could relate to that whole world. And if we ever got Ricky on the cool thing too, with him is he really does have a story of perseverance because That's awesome. after, yeah, after headbangers ball was canceled, he's very open that he could not get a job. He lost everything. He had no oh, money. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think he went for years just doing jobs that he says he sucked at, but just to get by, like things like being a used car, car salesman. And it wasn't until years that went by, he's always been into racing and NASCAR and NASCAR yeah. hired him to be a commentator. And then his career took off from there. But he's always been very open about that tweeting. Like, I've been through this. I've been through depression. I've lost my job. And, um, you know, you could always pick yourself up. So I, I think. I'd love to get into that one. Well, and, and that's right. That's right in our genre. That's right yeah. down what we what we do, dude. I, you know, also I'd like to get on I, the guy that owns Iron Gal Farms, Eddie Ranji, just because he he's, is in the oil business and the gas huge. He owns Ex Dexon Oil. He has tremendous stories about perseverance. But I was talking to him about gas prices and and things like that. And it, and I he has, he knows what's going on. I'd love to have him on. So there's there there stops being a lot of the speculation of why prices so i actually get it from the horse's mouth for from a gentleman that's in there but also you know I, just his life growing up and how he became an oil type you'd never know it but how he became an oil type he, he really i shouldn't say tycoon but <laughs> very well done in the oil industry but just getting him on to talk about his life growing up and then get the actual hey eddie all right really why are gas prices going up 
Yeah. No, we, just, we should we should yeah. do it. He'd be he'd be great. He'd be um, a great one. I'm, yeah. I'm only jumping in here because we got to get. Oh to yeah, rainwaters. Yeah, uh, but before we do, we got to talk about Bub's Naturals, which is a product I use every day. You use every day the collagen protein, the MCT oil powder, and the thing that really separates them is that they're single source grass fed cows uh, that that are they're sourced from just one single ingredient in terms of the collagen protein. And they're supplements that really work. It's it's yeah. a supplement collagen in general, I always say, is something you're not getting in your diet. It's something that you really need to supplement with. So oftentimes I'll see on posts that you make and Bubs Naturally yeah. they go, oh, it's just all about uh, having a good having good nutrition, having a good diet, which of course that's fundamental. But supplements are supposed to supplement in your yeah. nutrition. And, and this is a supplement that really works, all of their stuff. Uh, it's tremendous. And it, it says on the bottom, these are not substitutes for meal, repl for meal replacements. It's, it's, it's a supplement to assist a healthy lifestyle. And it does, guys. I, it it works tremendously. It, it's helped me maintain my gut health with the MCT oil, which also is a natural a natural pickup. So if you ever want a pre-workout, you put that MCT oil in your coffee, whatever you want to drink it in. And then the collagen protein helps rebuild. It helps rebuild those joints. It helps rebuild those those things that we we lose as we get older because of just normal wear and tear. And it has definitely helped me immensely. And then the, the extra protein, I know it's not the, the way 60 million milligrams of protein that does, but it does help on the rebuilding and the recovery of your muscles. It works and it tastes good. And it's, it's something that I believe we all need. And you can tell when you're taking it because your nails grow your hair grows a little bit more, especially as old guys here. Cut my nails, yeah. <laughs> it kind of, yes, <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's tremendous. And of course, you know, half a part of that ten percent of the sales go to Bub's G Glendora Memorial Foundation. So it definitely is is beneficial. A buddy of mine just called me yesterday. Hey, what's that stuff you're taking? Tom Alabrando. We need to have him on the show too. Another tremendous guy I served with in Iraq, and then now is one of the best instructors in the country. We need to have him on. But he's like, hey man, I need something to help me recover. What was that stuff that you had on your podcast? He listens to the podcast. I said, oh, you have bubs here. I'll send you the link. Well, we got another one. Another guy. That's awesome. That's just working. So, yeah, guys, try it. You're going to and, and you're going to love it. And it tastes good, especially in, in coffee. It definitely does taste good. It's cool that it's like personal friends reaching out to you, too, because yeah. I'm sure they're like, is it just that they're paying you? Does this yeah. stuff really work? <laughs> well, that's, that and, is, yeah. and for us, no, we, we really do use this. So, so check it out, guys. BubsNaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE and you're going to get 20% off. That's going to give you the best deal anywhere. So yep. BubsNaturals.com, promo code BATTLELINE. Link is right there in the description. Of course, also, we were just talking about Fort Scott Munitions. We're both wearing Fort Scott Munitions merch today. Right. For those of you who don't watch on YouTube, I mean, a lot of you guys listen, but we have a YouTube channel and we're wearing Fort Scott merch. So go to uh, YouTube and, and check us out. But Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring they receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. All you got to do is go on the website, you go to the dealer locator, yeah. you type your zip code in, and you're going to find a dealer right by you. So 
fortscottmunitions.com. Link is in the description. Fort Scott, M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Every now and again, they have ammo on there as well, so you'll be able to get ammo in bulk. And when they do, you can use our promo code on that, on any of yeah. the merch, the hats, the T-shirts. Use the promo code BATTLELINE at checkout, and you're going to get 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast, uh, FortScottMunitions.com. Promo code BATTLELINE, one word, of course, Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. So joining us for the first time on the podcast, the guy we're very excited to have on, Rain John Waters, uh, host of the Afterburn Podcast, retired Air Force F-16 pilot. Yeah. You have an amazing background. When I told Chris that... that uh, I said to Chris originally, it was like, we got to get someone on from Top Gun. I don't know if you've tried <laughs> to get someone on from Top Gun. And they, they're kind of blowing us off. I don't know what happened. But he was like, let's get a real F-16 pilot on, man. Let's who get John a, Waters. Yeah. So. Who needs yeah, a like, guy? I don't screw that. Let's, <laughs> no. let's, get, let's get someone that actually done it before. I right. get, let's get John on. So I, yeah, and, uh, come on, man. We don't have the we don't have the clout. You uh, you know the publicists look at our numbers and be like, ah, no, nah, we're not going to have him on there. Let's go put him on some show. Some weenie show. Yeah, they have 8 million followers, but, you know, they don't know what the hell they're doing over there. They're just going to talk about not cool F-16 stuff, obviously. Talk about real stuff, like tactics and stuff. And uh, have, yeah. have you seen it? Have you seen I, the movie? Yeah, we uh, we went okay. last week. Yeah. Okay, tell then tell me, because I'm not a pilot. You know that. I, what did... Not the, not the the movie. What did you think? Because I get asked the same thing about the movie. Not really the it's the tactics. Hey, did was it yeah. accurate? Well, that's me asking you. Hey, how are the tactics? Was it pretty accurate or was it over the top? Yeah, I mean, I, like broad brush, right? Like they did a really good job. It's a really entertaining movie. And I think you know because there's some movies out there. There's like oh yeah, not not even close, right? <laughs> there was definitely some liberty taken in various parts right but i think like in, inherently they, they did a pretty good job good i mean i don't think you're gonna see an f-18 uh blitzing through a formation you know close formation to start the fight uh that might raise a few eyebrows you know we could talk about you know doing pops dropping gbu 12s and then you know dodging advanced surface air missile systems uh, yeah, may, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Um, I think uh, it might end a little differently, but I think, yeah, in the end, they did a pretty good job at it. Good. Well, it's, it's not that easy dodging those, dodging those, yeah. uh, the surf stair stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. Something they can go like Mach 7 or Mach 9 and pull 50 Gs. Uh, it just turns out, you know, even an F 16, it's not going to work out too well for you. Well, that's okay. That's what about the, the camaraderie of the group? The, the, and the the attitudes and because that's huge to, to me that's huge i i would know the difference for the most part i know there's some be some arrogance and bravado because you yeah. guys are pilots and that's just how it is um but was it again was it over the top too much and or was it because uh, they got ours right actually the the actual mannerisms in our movie they got it pretty spot on yeah i've heard you say that and that, that i also don't have you on mine and, and talk about it in detail yeah, yeah. um but, you know, I think there obviously there's some Hollywood isms that go into it. And, you know, I'm an Air Force guy. So our equivalent is weapons school. So, yeah. you know, the Air Force will pick, you know, their top, you know, each squadron or each base rather. So let's say Shaw, three fighter squadrons. Okay. Uh, there are going to be two classes a year that go to weapons school. And out of that, you might have one or two guys that go out of the base that go to weapons school. They'll spend six months and then 
they might come back to Shaw or most likely they'll go to another base and they're going to be the squadron weapons officer. So they're teaching uh, the teachers, you know, they're going gotcha. to teach the instructors, but the motto at weapon school is humble, approachable, credible. And that's a big thing. Being able to like, you are it, you are the SME, you're the subject matter expert. Everyone knows like you've been handpicked and you've been put through a grueling course. Um, so like, you don't have to prove yourself and, you know, essentially the top gun, right? Like you saw like the bar scene, spoiler alert. If anyone's listening, uh, that hasn't seen it yet. Just pause. Did you see it yet, Tonto? No, but we got, we got it. It's the show's yeah. more important. I'll, I'll see. It. Yeah. yeah. No, I no, mean, no, you, no, you no, see no. the bravado a, a little bit come out like in the bar scene with the competing. So essentially these are all, you know, these are all top gun graduates or they've been hand selected to come back uh, for this mission. Same deal would be like, if you picked a bunch of weapon instructors, come back, like there's always going to be like a little headbutting and things like that. But uh, I think, you know, in, inherently, most weapons officers I ever worked with or came across or, you know, my instructors, that humble, approachable, credible was something they, they live by. There's always one that gets through the cracks, you know, but they, they know their stuff and they don't have to prove it by any kind of false bravado, if you will. Gotcha. Yeah, there was definitely some bravado in the movie. I, I loved it. I thought they did a great job. Uh, you did. You loved it, too. It, yeah, it was. I, I think. One, like we haven't had a movie like that. The Top Gun was like the best recruiting tool for the Air Force. Yeah. yeah. I know it was a Navy movie, right? Like that was the best yeah. recruiting tool for the Air Force, hands down. We've needed something like that. And I, you know, I don't know how much you guys talk about. It. I did, you know, I'm actually still a reservist. I was doing recruiting. I've actually just moved jobs again. But no one wants to be pilots these days. And I don't say like no one. There are some, but like there's, it's a big interest in uh, being a drone pilot, not being a pilot at all. And for instance, um, towards the end of my time active duty, it was fairly rare that you could take a four ship off station on the weekend. And that used to happen like back in the you know, Reagan era and, and even in the 90s, you would take a four ship and you, know, you might take it from South Carolina and you go out to Texas on your way there. You're going to stop into Montgomery. You're going to fight F-16s. You might go down to you know Florida, fight some Raptors. Like it's a good deal to go off station, take the jets. You go to do similar fights, uh, and then you know, you're away from the mothership, so you're not having to deal with as much of uh, you know, the, 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 the pain that comes along with being, yeah. Yeah, being, being a home station. Uh, that went away for a long time, especially after sequestration. But what I saw, it started coming back where, hey, you can take a four-ship cross-country. The one caveat was you must stop at a pilot training base or you must go to the Air Force Academy. And part of that was to do a show-and-tell to try and get either kids – you know, young men and women who are already in pilot training to get them excited about flying fighters or, you know, plant the seed. Because what's happening, we saw this, you can stop me if we don't hear, but peeling back the onion. You know, we saw the oh, surge, no, we love hearing this. you know, in yeah. Iraq. Um, and part of that, right, a lot of money started flowing to the army, you know, you know, before MRAPs existed, right? So we got to buy MRAPs. We got to buy all this up armor. Where's all that money come from? So one piece of the, of the, of the pie got chopped from, fighters oh. at that same time right there was a a big need for isr and there was an insatiable demand for uavs so i think at the time like maybe we had like nine and don't quote me like you know like it was it was a a dozen caps of predators flying around the world and that was again you know, think like oh five oh six oh seven time frame um and it was just kind of this insatiable demand to have more uavs so there was a, a reflow of money to that. The up armor, the F-16, the A-10 were both going through major upgrades. So all these factors combine 
you're not producing enough fighter pilots. You're actually taking guys out of fighter cockpits and sending them to fly UAVs. It's a Tammy 21 was the program it's called. So it's like, once you, if you didn't have enough hours or you had too many hours, like off to UAVs and you would never be seen again. Wow. So out of all of that, this is to say, when the normal PCS cycling happens and you'd have 15 guys in a squadron, you know, a third went on to another operational assignment. A third went to go fly white jets for an assignment. So T6s, T38s, you know, to teach the new guys. And then a third would go to school or staff. What ended up happening, you'd send UAVs. A couple guys would go into, like two guys would continue on to an ops assignment. No guys would go to white jets because they couldn't spare them. So now you have, you have guys who are, and I was a T6 FAPE, so I was a brand new instructor hoping to go to fighters, but most of the other instructors, with the exception of one out of maybe 90, were all heavy guys. So you have this influence around all these young pilot training students who are surrounded by C-17, C-5, KC-10, KC-135 guys. Nothing gets them. They're great, but they're telling their story, right? And everyone loves their story, just like I'm out here spouting mine. <laughs> but they would say, you know, hey, go fly a heavy. You're C-17. You're going to take a crew around the world for two weeks. You're going to get all this per diem. You're going to tag, you know, tax-free zones. They're selling. If you go fly fighters, you know, you're going to get punched in the face every day. Uh, and oh, by the way, you're going to go deploy six months to some crappy location. Meanwhile, us and our C-17s, like we're staying downtown in Dubai or whatever it might be, and they do some bad deals. But they kind of sold it. So you, you didn't have any salesmen, if you will, and I use air quotes for those listening, uh, to pitch fighters. So it, this... It doesn't happen overnight. It's a death by a thousand paper cuts, but you'll hear in the news now, fighter pilot shortage was a big thing a few years ago. Now it's just a pilot shortage in general, uh, but the dynamics are changing. And so that's all to be said. Top Gun Maverick is a great movie. Yeah, hopefully it gets people excited about, you know, wanting to be pilots, wanting to be fighter pilots. That's, just, that's amazing to me that... that- because that's what, as I was a kid, that's what you, I wanted to be growing up. I want to be a fighter pilot. I'm flying a little matchbox and then, you know, then going in special operations after I just like changed, but that's still to me, that's the tier one stuff. It reminds me of the scene in dodgeball when, when, when um, Vince Vaughn's talking to the kid that wants to be a cheerleader. He's like, yeah. wait, you want to be a cheerleader to get girls? There are things, a lot of things have changed since you, right. since I've grown up and been in high school. I said, man, a lot of things have changed since I've been in the military. Cause that, yeah. that wasn't a, I want to be a, I want to go fly fuel around on a 135, a KC 135. It's a, right. it's a fuel transport plane. No, I'd rather do that than fly an F-16 and go kill the bad guy. Yeah. That doesn't, see, that doesn't make it, how can you, that does not a selling point to me. I, I guess the, 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 I guess the, the generation's, there is the generations. I don't want to say, is it weak? Okay. I'm saying it. it's, yeah. have you gotten weaker guys? What is you let you scared? you more risk averse. Of course, in the military, you've seen that we become yeah, more risk averse because of the drones and UAVs that I think those came out of the IEDs and we were losing guys and Hey, well, let's put people then, Hey, well, less chance of people getting shot down. Really? You guys weren't getting shot down a lot. Anyway, you guys are really right. good in Iraq or even Afghanistan, but let's even be more risk averse. Let's put a UAV out there. Then there's no chance of anybody dying. I, I I just I think now people are seeing this biting us in the ass. It, it yeah. really is. So, what do you what what do we do? I mean, what do you what do you what does a recruiter do to get people back in the seat? I'm telling for you guys on the ground, yeah. we want somebody in an actual cockpit 
to talk to saying, Hey, this is where I'm at. I want to hear your voice. I don't want to have, well, UAV is nice to have. It's better right. than nothing. And ISR, you know, something with a, a predator, something with a 275 or a health, you know, something on a hellfire on there. But I still want to hear you guys. I, I don't want to hear, hear uh, there's an unmanned drone coming in. I'd rather, have, yeah, there's a freaking screamer coming in right now. Or there's an A-10. Get yeah. ready for that Gatling gun and hear that. Like, it just, holy shit. Yeah, we're back in this yeah. fight. We got, we got our backs. What, what do we do? I mean, is there something we can do? That's a complex problem. And then, you know, this is multifaceted because one thing, you know, I, I kind of harp on the you know, broad brush. We can't plan past two years. Like if you look at China, like China has a hundred year game plan and like yeah. they're executing it flawlessly. Like they are <laughs> and they are chipping away at it and they're doing it. But when it comes to, you know, the, the pilot thing and unmanned, like I had General Kelly, who's the air combat commander on my podcast not too long ago. And he, he used the term interchangeable, like interoperability. And it, he was speaking to the F-35 predominantly being interchangeable, okay. like the difference between the, the F-35 and like the F-16. You know, the F-16 is like the most proliferated fighter in the world. So many nations are flying it, but they're apples and oranges as far as capabilities. You know, if you threw you know, me into a Danish, you know, F-16 it's going to look different. The weapons, like they might be the same. They, you know, they might be different. It just kind of depends. One is the F-35, like copy and paste, like it's software that can change between them. So you have to have the ability to rely on multiple nations. I think if we're talking about a near peer threat, uh, because you go knock on the door of China, like Russia has been kind of interesting. Like they've, (laughs) It kind of fell flat on their face. I didn't anticipate that. I thought it'd be a little bit. Uh, hey, you ran out. You ran out of fuel. We say this all the time. How do you run out of fuel going from South Carolina to North Carolina? To, I mean, literally, that's how it was driving across the logistical side. We can see now was not uh, not where it needed to be. Yeah, obviously. And, yeah, without it, I, I have. I yeah. mean, I have canceled missions in Iraq and Syria for tanker support. Right, right. it's like it's very rare, but. You know, we're talking like our KC-135s, which are getting replaced by the KC-46 and the KC-10s the KC going away first and then the KC-135. But that's been around since, you yeah. know, the Cold War. Day. Like yeah. the logistics, like without it, now I said, to put me in the cockpit of the F-16, there's about 750 people standing behind me to make all that happen. You know, wow. one person doesn't happen, then it doesn't work. But to kind of get back to, you know, the questions like, what do we do? Um, you know, like in the end, you want someone in a cockpit when it's an uncontested environment and you got troops in contact, the ability to like roll up and look down and see that tree line and instantly build your essay picture of what's going on in the battle space. You cannot, I mean, I can't get this from the screen, right? Like I'm just not that smart. Maybe someone can. And and doubt like the technology will evolve where it will help that battle space, uh, situational awareness build for a pilot. You know, like if you think a UAV now looking at a screen like this, well, put them in a bubble, you know, that has sensors like the F-35 they can see all around. That said, like it's still probably it needs to be a compliment of having a human there. And maybe I have five of my drone buddies that are missile trucks with me. And then AI, you, know, you throw AI into it. And again, it, you're, it gets to be a very interesting discussion, uh, uh, and obviously beyond this this medium, but as far as what like a near peer fight would look like if we really what we would need to win. Like if you go if Taiwan if if Taiwan looks up one day and there's just a, a horde rolling at them and we're gonna go uh, back them up, what would what would that look like and what would it need to look like? I think my humble opinion, which 
I'm uneducated when it comes to this and out of the know, but it would be a very tough fight. I mean, it's a, it's a global war at that point. And then also if you look at how taxed our iron oh. is alone, yeah. what a challenge that is. Now there new things, space and cyber, that's something, but it goes both ways. You know, I, well, it's, it sounds like there's really not an answer. It's just, it's it, we're coming back to everything else. It's, it's a cultural answer. It's a societal answer. It's an answer yeah. that with our children's children now making it cool to be a pilot again. I want to be a pilot. Like when I grew up, you're going to yeah. not go that route, but that's what I want to do. Now we're talking about contact from the air to ground. If we don't have enough pilots, a predator is not going to be able to take out a manned who's going to win that i guess who's going to win that fight and do you have those kind of if we have people that are unmanned in these predators and isrs and we don't have enough pilots for the air what about the dog fights in the air we don't have enough pilots for those up there and our enemies are going to is there are we not seeing that i guess i, I I'm, I'm not clear how we cannot have enough pilots and and win fights at dog fights because uh, we don't have enough people up there and we're not going to put a predator against an f-35 or an f-16 are we? i mean maybe i'm wrong are we yeah, do you guys I mean, do those sort of things, those scenarios. Do you train like that? I, I, I never heard of it. I do have faith. There are a lot smarter people than me that, like, obviously, I can't even hold a candle to that are they're thinking about these problems, and that's a really good question. Um, and like, who knows what it'll be? I know, like, we we have some probably pretty awesome toys that are hanging out, ready to be brought out of the the toolbox, like if we need them. But like, the question, and this is like pure, like, you know, just a thought. You know, it's like. If we looked at how warfare has evolved over the last hundred hundred years alone, like things you know, like civil war, we're going to line up and we're going to march at one another versus like what the tactics are today. Like, you know, could like if you were, are we sitting in the civil war time frame? Not, you know, like what is that next fight? So maybe, yeah. and you start talking hypersonics. You know, if if an AMRAM can only go so far in AIM-120, and that's where you're using, you know, this long-range fight that yep. undoubtedly will – we always train. We start, you know, kind of this – so we talk a training snare, like defensive counter area, you're protecting a point like Taiwan. You know, it's going to start out as far as you can, and if you're, you know, declaring and you're able to identify hostile aircraft, you're going to shoot them at range and try to trit them and trit the forces as much as possible. Undoubtedly, there's going to be someone – and depends on the rules of engagement that maybe you can't identify this aircraft. Maybe it's an airliner. Maybe it's, you know, Joe Snuffy right. in a, in a citation. Um, do you shoot him without a valid ID? Do you have to go to merge and visually ID him? You know, so we, the tactics always kind of drive and training. Like right. there's always going to be someone that you're gonna have to go to the merge with and, you know, you merge with him, ID him as hostile and your wingman shoots him. But you know, like that's, that's how jet warfare has been, you know, since the Korean War. Visually, are identifying an enemy based on you know either seeing them, science, you know, beeps and squeaks coming off their jet and your jet, or someone else being able to positively identify them as a hostile and pass that information to you so you can shoot them. Um, that's all based in like a very relatively short distance. When we're talking you know, okay. jets going 600 knots at yeah. one another. But if you, if you back that, that picture up with hypersonics, I don't even know what that looks like. Um, wow. You know, is that like the next evolution? So then maybe, maybe it is drones, the radar technology with AI. I can say that the joke, um, not joke, right. But um, 
So the F-16, the it, it's going through upgrades. It'll keep flying to 2045. AESA radar, so actively scan, uh, scan radar, which is it's not a mech scan where it's going back and forth. You know, the F-16 that I flew was a Block 50, and that had the most advanced radar in our Air Force. And we've sold some better ones, but it wasn't an ACE, it was a mech scan. So you could dual target track, so I could lock you and Ian. I could see both of you, and I could shoot both of you. But wow. when I've locked into you, I can't see really anyone else. Okay. Now, data link, now if my buddy's there, they can also lock into stuff, and I can see what he's locked into. With an AESA radar, you can see lots of stuff. Like it, it's like going from a Nokia, you know, flip phone playing Snake <laughs> to you know your iPhone 13, uh, and you have like Global SA. You know, it's completely different. Um, and you know, with the Raptor and the F 35, like and you're in the F 16, and you're like, man, I'm hustling, like you know, just <laughs> doing all this work trying to lock into stuff. Typically guys with more advanced radar, like the Raptor, I mean, they have a shoot list that's building like the information it's information management that they're doing okay. at that point. Um, I, and that's like kind of the other piece, you know, I did air shows, right. So I'm, I'm flying my, my good nice. buddy who's one of my former, former student. Uh, he's flying F 35s. We're sitting next to one another, just doing our ground ops, like starting for the air show, which is a simplified ground ops compared to like, you know, bombs and targeting pods and stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm over there sweating, flipping switches, going back and forth, doing all sorts of tests. He's just sitting there. I'm like, what do you, like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm just waiting for the computer to restart. You know I mean? It's like, it's completely different, you know? <laughs> wow. Uh, but, which, uh, which air shows have you done? I was just at the Memorial day air show in Jones beach, which is like an every year event for me. Yeah. It's awesome. I so I never did Jones Beat. So I, my last two years in active duty is a pretty good deal. Two and a half years, really. Uh, I did. That's all I did. I was a demo pilot, so I, I did probably forty-five air shows. You know, across wow. the U.S., Canada. Wow. I went to Colombia, Bahrain, uh, UAE. So it, it was it was a pretty good deal. I never did Jones Beats. I know that they just I saw that they just had it. That's always a massive show. It is. Yeah. Blue Angels were there last year was the Air Force Thunderbirds. It, it really for the audience, if there's an air show by you go, because I went way too many years saying I got to go. And now that I've you know gone for these years, I'm like, this is an every year event. You will be completely amazed at what these guys are capable of. Um, I wanted to get into your background a little. Yeah. And so I was wondering, where did the uh, what's the origin of the call sign range? <laughs> I always tell you know, people always ask that, right? So any any fighter pilot that tells you the origin of their call sign right off the bat uh, is lying to you. So, <laughs> Chris always says, yeah, with the army. Yeah, it's a safe. It's a safety yeah. call sign. Yeah, yeah. no, there's there's no cool guy call sign. You you get it either because of a last name or you screwed up on something or your ethnicity. One of yeah. those three things right there. So yeah. Rain yeah what, sounds that, cool. I'll say it, yeah. that sound like you're right now. It does sound like a, honestly, it sounds like an aviation. Yeah. Bring the rain. Yeah. Uh, everybody uh, wants to say that Tyson Beckford line from transformers. Like, none of us have ever said it, but we all want to say, yeah, Roger that aim on orange smoke, bring the rain. Nobody's ever said, bring the rain. But it would be cool one time this, right. for some guy on the radio to say that to a Spectre gunship or one of you guys yeah. had it. So I'm, I'm cleared hot. Cool. Yeah. Cleared yeah. hot. Bring the rain. Gosh, yeah. that, that's, that is movie right there. That, the uh, the best nine line I ever had, which you can appreciate this, Tonto, was it, I was up in Erbil or outside of Erbil. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, this there's this ve uh, vehicle. They're finding a bunch of ISIS guys. But the nine line passed. And the, neither, Mark is always in A in the nine line. Like, it's always in A. And this time it was Spooky's Mark 
which they had their 30 millimeter just going to town on this vehicle. And I'm like, well, capture that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's dead, but if you want a 500 pounder, I'm, I'm more than happy to oblige. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So the, back to the call. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty freaking. So you had a Spectre hammer in it before you oh, yeah. dropped oh. your five and you yeah. dropped a 500 on it. Yeah, it was definitely, I would, I wouldn't say oh, it was, it was overkill, but yeah, these guys were, uh, they're bad guys. Hey, they want yeah, to make that, sure they're gone. Well, it's the same reason why we do controlled pairs. If we need to have somebody going down that gray matter, you got to make sure he's dead. Yeah. You don't want to get back up. Now I get, I get it. I get it. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's crazy to see some of the stuff that guys can walk away from. Yeah, I, it is. You guys are hammering them with guns and, and you still see them moving around. Like, how are these guys still living? <laughs> I don't understand this, but I, I, I don't, dude, I don't hate you. And I wish I, I wish I could have saw that, the, Oh man, can you see the, the 30, the 30 millimeter coming? And all of a sudden, boom, oh, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Awesome to see all that. Yeah, this is, this is easy to see, but, um, sorry, I jumped away from the call sign and <laughs> no, not, to, no. not, not to divert there, but, um, yeah, it's always something that's usually like humbling. And again, if anyone ever tells you right off the bat, it usually requires a few beers. I'll give it like a hint. Mine, you know, again, it was when I was going through mission qualification training. That's usually where you get it. Like when you show up to your first fighter squadron. You're going to have about 10 rides and the various different mission sets to get you checked out as a mission ready wingman. Sure. And undoubtedly, you're going to do something. I'll say, you know, the Air Force, like typically, like does a pretty good job because there is a rule, right? Like you don't want to have to yell your buddy's name across the bar and everyone look like, because mm. if you see like some of the Navy call signs and Marine call signs, you're like, like just it's, it's brutal right but they can't like you can't go hey, hey this is my buddy like bambi and that's just like being kind like i mean there's some like, like you know, just terrible ones but so the air force i think does a pretty good job pc culture might have cleaned it up a little bit but uh yeah so, so you're well, keeping rain a seat not, not gonna tell us it's okay it's all right we'll get a few beers in you next time we, right yeah we, exactly we exactly on. I, no worries guys we're out of respect you know and actually John, are you still? I don't. You're still. Are you still heading up the E3? Are you going to yep. do the? That's okay, what so, Brian, so Brian and I were supposed to meet this weekend. So Steve's another. You know the other uh, aviation piece of this. He had a gear malfunction yesterday, so <laughs> he's dealing with like getting the plane back to wherever it needs to go to get the maintenance. So I, 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 we're actually. I don't know if Brian sent me an email. I said, "Hey, I'll fly down to Fort Lauderdale tomorrow," but. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I just guys for I'm doing the E3 farms. John's doing the E3 aviation side for the E3 association. The reason I'm bringing that up is because we will be on more, more podcasts and Ian will be part of the E3 podcast too, where we will continually ask John about his call sign and he will eventually <laughs> tell us. We will right. keep hammering on it. It's going to be a special. <laughs> but hey, so I guess I, I story, I, I want to start. Do you have anything, especially for youngsters coming out, just a story where it was maybe. I don't think you probably ever wanted to quit, but was there a time where just a hard going through difficult training and, and you just like, man, I don't know if this is what I want to do, or you, you had a doubt or just physically it was pushing you to the point. How'd you get through it? Is there any story through training that you have that you can tell our listeners about? You know, there's one thing I always say, and I, I didn't come up with this, but I, this quote or whatever gets me through a lot of stuff. And it's like, there are those that have than those that will. And typically when you're going through training, like everyone is going to bust a ride at some sure. point. And so you're going to have to repeat a ride. There are some rides that are more significant than others and have, you know, potentially more impact on your career, but undoubtedly, like you're going to, you're going to have to repeat a ride. Like that's just part of it. So when, when that happens, obviously 
it's a blow. And depending on where it is in your training syllabus, like it can, it can sting more than others. But again, there are those that have and those who will, you're not the first and you're not the last. So I knew early, I'd say fairly early on that I wanted to fly. You know, my dad was kind of a catalyst, pushed me that direction. Um, and the more I, I got exposed to it, the more I wanted to do it. And I'm one of those that I think I can tend to like, I'm always kind of looking at five and 10 year chapters, if you will, at life. So it's like, Hey, what's, you know, what's my goal in the next five years? What's the next goal in 10 years? And for me, you know, lucky enough, like I had just enough bumpers around me in high school to keep me going in the right direction. Um, and I definitely pinged off them, uh, which I think we all do. And I knew I wanted to be a pilot. So essentially everything I did was had that in the back of my mind and geared towards it when it be, you know, from jobs I sought after to, you know, clubs I joined, et cetera. And it's a, it's a long road, but with that, like having that long-term goal, when I got into pilot training, they say pilot training is like drinking from a fire hose. I enjoyed it. It was, it, there's a lot of information you got to know and, I don't know. They say some people go through like more stressful. Like I tend to thrive under stress. I think um, maybe my wife will disagree. I don't know. But <laughs> the, uh, the I like having pressure. I like having a, you know, a deadline. Yeah. I like having challenges um, falling short of that. Like definitely going to like pilot training is probably the one, like I did, I did decent going through F 16 school did decent, uh, but I had to re repeat a couple rides here and sure. there. Uh, and those are like, that's always like a blow when you know, like your, it's blow to your ego. Um, but you, again, I can always look back. I was like, you know, yeah, this is, I, this is what I've always wanted to do. Right. Like sure. I'm not just going to quit with like one stumble. Well, uh, I, and, and it helps you. I, nobody wants a guy in their squadron. Nobody wants a guy on their team that is going to quit when the going gets tough because right. then you're definitely going to quit when the going is actually for real and gets tough. And you, right. you've got, you've got things coming at you in the sky. You've got mortars raining down and you're going to quit. And, so no, that's, I, that just shows your, your personality. You already had it, whether you knew it or not, you already had that ability to not quit under the, under times of, of duress. And, and that's, that's awesome. Uh, where was it most stressful as far as training goes? Was it once you got to start to train to, to flight school or was it, was it going through when you first jumped in and in your first got into basic training uh, or was it when you got your squadron? You, you know, probably like, <clears throat> I, honestly, probably the squadron, I think, um, you know, I think the Air Force does a pretty good job of everything's a building block. Like when you start pilot training, they don't expect you to know how to fly a T6 and they don't expect you to know how to fly a T38. Like the expectation is if they told you, hey, you need to understand the engine by day five, right? <laughs> then you go learn about the engine. And that's why I told my students, right? Like maybe, yeah, it, maybe conceptually you, you read it, you can't quite understand it. But when I ask you, like, you know, what the fuel pressure is or whatever, whatever, right, that you know it, and then I can help explain as an instructor why that's important or how that works together. So it's a building block approach to get there. And you're probably going to test this. Like, like training is like, I don't know, it's, it can be difficult going through. I thought yeah. overall, like, it wasn't terrible. Like, there were definitely, like, some points that were uh, challenging. But it's not, yeah. Uh, Pulling G's is physical, but it's nothing like going through ranger school. Like here and like going through ranger school, like, whew, 
Well, well, but but even there, you when you get used to it, it becomes a totally. It's just it sucks for the first little bit, but then you're like, okay, well, I'm here. It ain't going nowhere. All right, and and it it, it sucked, but it still was enjoy. Honestly, there still was enjoyable parts about yeah. it. Yeah. So so I think it's just the same, just maybe a little bit longer than than pulling a five G. I don't think I can pull a five G without puking over myself. So there you go. There's there's our differences. Right there. Yeah, the uh, the different, but it comes back. I think the toughest part then was eventually when I got to my doing that mission qualification training, because now it's now it's the big leagues. Like this is for real. This is hey, and like when I showed up my F sixteen squadron, we knew we were probably going to deploy. We were going to go do like kind of a show of presence in the Middle East. Just be there and may end of may right like the world found out about isis so very quickly our training just show a presence deployment became okay. you know combat operations sure. and so yeah now you're doing it for real and then it's a it's a different factor when yeah, there's good guys lives at stake and you know you're you're going to go drop iron right like making sure you put it in the right spot at the right time uh when guys need it because lives depend on it. Like that's to me, like the most, most stressful stuff. Was it, was it also because you actually had a squadron now? So you had, you're building that brotherhood where training, you do have a brotherhood, but you know, it's training. You're yeah. going to leave these guys eventually. You know, if you make a mistake, yeah, it's training though. Like here it's okay. Yeah. I've got my guys here. They're watching me. I'm brand new and I can't make a mistake because they don't, they're going to die if I do yeah. is that I, I know it did with me. And you know, once you get to range every time you get to your squad, it, it's a little bit different because this is the guys I'm going to be with for a little, for a while. And whatever happens, I'm with them and they're counting on me. We're training again. They're counting on me, but the training's yeah. just a little different. It's just, the, yeah, that's good. That's a good way of looking at it too. And I, I never really thought of it that way, but that is true because you know, it's everyone's lives kind of depend on one another. And this is your brotherhood. You're, your reputation. I always want to be that guy that could be counted upon, right? Yeah, like, there you go. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there was some task, or whatever, like yeah, just give it a rain, right? And, like you don't have to worry about it or like coddle him. Like that's that's my goal is to always be the guy that can be counted on. And I think, especially you get into like a fighter squadron, we get you know, right? Like at that level, you know, you are you never want to be the wedge or the yeah. back, you know? So, uh, and, and Dally, it's going to happen to someone, you know, and everyone's going to have their moment. You just, you can't be a back-to-back -back wedge. Um, so that's, well, that's, that's and you're probably not there that long if that happens, right? I mean, that's, you can get, can you get, I guess, peered out, but can you, once you're there, they've spent so much money on you. Yeah. They're not just going to keep you there just because to make up for their investment. If you're, if you're, if you're not cutting it and you're not making the grade, are you gone or do they keep you there or they move you somewhere else within operations and you're just not going to be behind the stick anymore? There's, there's, so, they're going to keep you flying initially. So you're going to do a three year assignment, you know, most okay. bases. What is going to end up happening? And this is, you know, I don't know if anyone's like listening, fighter pilot, because it's not always the case. Like there's some good dudes that get raw deals, like they get put in different sure. positions sure. Like in the sure. wing because, yeah. like, yeah, sorry, man, like there was no one else. But then there's also guys who get put in specific positions out of the fighter squadron. The big thing, at least for me, uh, so we have like, you know, most bases have two to three fighter squadrons, maybe one fighter squadron, but there's always an operational support squadron. Um, an operational support squadron is going to have everyone from air traffic control, uh, the airfield management, life support, like 
this whole slew. It's going to be a massive squadron of enlisted and officers, vice a fighter squadron, which is going to be predominantly all pilots with a couple okay. enlisted. Okay. If you get uh, sent out of the fighter squadron, and again, there got like I had to go do. I, I went and did a safety job at the wing. Like that was just at some point, the guys are going to get plucked to have to go sure. fill these billets. Yeah. But that is like a subtle way. If there is someone who kind of needs to get, I catch it managed okay. out. Yeah. And then you know, the more, uh, I would say aggressive way. And again, this is not all the case. Like we do like now it, it is a big focus sending guys to white jets. Like it used to be like, that was kind of like, you know, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, touch of death. If, if you got sent to white sure. jets, now it's like, we need guys to go to white jets so that they can. Get okay, so we, now for all our listeners out there, what tell us, we'll tell them what, what a white jet is. Yes, what white, that yeah. That's like a T six and a T 38. So that's the primary trainers for the air force. Cause so when you show up, you're going to go fly T six <laughs> gotcha. and then you're going to fly T 38. And I was in the beginning of the podcast kind of talking about, yeah, you know, yeah those yeah. are the trainers. So, um, that you can also send guys to assignment. Now I'll say like, you know, I was thinking like, you know, my squadron, uh, that I deployed with like out of that, like there might've been like two guys, like one guy for sure who did some shenanigans multiple times. Um, and then he stayed in the jet cause there were, we needed guys to stay in the jet, but I don't think he is any, he is no longer flying. Uh, so like eventually it works itself out for the most part. You know, hey, I, I had a question I've always wondered. Um, I mean, in my career of doing this in terms of podcasts, in terms of radio, and as Chris knows, like I'm, I've interviewed hundreds of guys literally from the special operations community. Not a whole lot of pilots, though. Like Dan Hampton comes to mind. I've, I've okay, interviewed yeah. Dan Hampton a few times. Great guy. Uh, hopefully we'll have him on at some point. But um, because of that, I think I've learned a lot about the difference between the different branches of special operations. But in terms of Pilots, what is the difference between yeah. the elite branches of, you know, Air Force pilots, Army pilots? What what, what differentiates them? Well, um, the Air Force, right? Like, I'll you can talk whole... and, and you can talk shit. It's all right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's I mean, all, that's been Ray happen, right? So, <laughs> I, the Na- I also go to the Navy, right? They they float around on a boat and they can float anywhere in the world for you know forever. Uh, but they have planes to protect the boat, but they have the boat to move the planes and the planes to protect the boat. So what are we doing? Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it was always, you know, again, like you always get different things that go on in the you know, Iraq and Syria and Operation Inherent Resolve predominantly. You know, the Navy has that power projection, like they can get anywhere they need to go. Sure in a matter of hours and you can be putting air power down uh, there. They're limited as far as like sustainment and how they can do it. Like the boat's got to go to port and do all its yeah. boat stuff. Um, but yeah, I always joke. We always, we had one mission in, in Syria. I was actually with my weapons officers, a good friend of mine. And like, we, we just left Kibani. We handed off to a bunch of Hornets and like, there was no less than like three guard calls. So like on the emergency frequency between the JTAC the AWACS just trying to call these guys off and the Navy ended up getting kicked out of Syria because they kept flying into Turkey. And that was a big no, no at the time. So <laughs> I was joking about the Navy, but yeah, like army and Tonto could probably be better to this to me, but the having that rotary wing that's integrated yeah. at, at the unit level embedded kind of same with like the Marine Corps, you know, like the Marines have fighters and planes to support the guys on the ground. 
Air Force, you know, mix of tactical and strategic level stuff, right? Tactically, you get chopped over and you're working for a JTAC for a vol yeah. period. Strategic, you got a B-2 that can fly across the globe down, you know, wherever you want to do a power projection. So, it's a, I mean, it's a mix of all of them. Um, and, it's, I mean, it's fun to go out and do these large force exercises, especially when you mix in the Navy, the Marines, and the Army into it. I'll say, like, my interaction with the Army, I did uh, MC-12 deployment as well, okay. doing ISR <clears throat> integrating and lasing for Apaches. So that was, like, a very tactical level inter- inter- integration there. It was pretty pretty awesome. Um, and then, yeah, Air Force F-16 time, like, doing red flag exercises, bringing the Navy out, bringing the Marines out, briefing with them, you know, integrating them into the air fight or whatever they're going to do, like bringing, you know, F-18 growlers out, doing jamming, doing like my primary mission set as an F-16 guy was C, suppression of enemy air defenses. So going out there, kick the door down, get everyone to look at you, shoot at you. So that everyone get in and out unharassed and then you can close the door. But the growler has that mission set as well. It's, it's bigger, it's fatter, it's slower. It's got two people in it. Uh, it's got it's got to stay way back, uh, but it's got beeps and squeaks and 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 stuff that, that we don't have in the F sixteen. So integrating and relying, you know, on the capabilities, strengths and weaknesses that each of us have, that's the challenge. And if you can successfully do that, then you can go out there and fight because no one can do it all. I guess. Is there is there aside from task force in the army, aside from one sixtieth? And I thought there was because the Air Force, whenever we did stuff with the Air Force, as far as getting transported with her with C-130s, yeah. C-17s, or occasionally F-5s, there was a special operations side within the Air Force. But but the fast movers, they don't fall underneath that. You just you just take over everybody. And if somebody needs assistance, whether it's a whether it's a special operations team or a conventional team, it doesn't make a difference. Or do the special operations team get priority or it's just mission dependent? Whoever, whatever the mission is, is that is that how that works within the fast moving community? So, if in the fast mover community, it does because you know there's Air Force Special Operations Command, yeah. which has C-130s, helicopters. Yeah. We use those. I, we use yep. those immensely. The the Pavlovs and and all, yep. or however you want to say it. And I hated those guys because even they'd always make sure that even if we didn't <laughs> need to in our training, they're going back and forth. We, you knew as soon as you got on here, they go and they're just, they're, they're simulating turbulence while you're trying to put your yeah. shoes on. But, <laughs> but, but I didn't hate them. They were awesome guys, but they did like the fun. But I, I just never knew that with the fast movers, if there was something that was dedicated to special operations or not. No, it's a, it's going to be one of those things that you integrate and it did it uh, several times, you know, whether, uh, so, you know, the chaotic binary operations center, which is, and they're in cutter and that's yeah. you know every you know every day they're whatever assets are in theater so i went into a three-week rotation there when i was deployed but you know it was me sit next to a b1 guy sit next to an f-15 okay. guy sit next to a navy guy sit next to an a-10 guy um, and then what happens you know everything is getting pumped into the chaos guys are requesting air support there are users that are okay. always going to get priority and then right. everyone has a different priority level um, and then what's going to end up happening is based on the needs and what the requirements are, they're going to get chopped off. Now I'll say I saw it where certain users are only going to want certain planes. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I know when we deployed our weapons officer, right? Again, he's he, he's underneath the commander and the DO, and I'd say like informally, like you know, like the number three in the squadron. Um, he got it. You know, the phone call 
from an unknown number one night and said, Hey, I need you to be here in a day or two. And then, you know, that user went through everything as far as, you know, the AOR, what was going on. Then he came back and then kind of passed the words. And then, then inside the squadron, there can typically, you know, like ours, I'd say like everyone flew those missions. There was no difference. You might, that might've been some scheduling when we knew, Hey, these lines, like it's only going to be these guys. And then we did have some, you know, missions where it was like going deep into bad guy land and supporting, you know, tier one users that it's, it's going to be a a specific set of guys in the squadron, you know, so you can kind of know like, Hey, we don't have to worry about this. And then briefing to the VTC, I went down to the, the Horn of Africa for a bit there too. And, you know, all the guys that you're dealing with there with short sleeve, button down plaid shirts yeah. and cargo pants. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's they, they, I guess they get who they get, but yeah, there is internally probably some selection process that most okay. fighter squadrons are thinking about for the different mission sets that are, that are going out there. And there are different qualifications. If there's some kind of specific need and not everyone has that qualification, then obviously the guys who are qualified are going to okay. get selected in. And- and you're talking weapons qualification or you're talking about a terrain qualification. So you're flying up in Tucker Gar is a little different than flying down in Baghdad because yeah. are there those kind of qualifications or as far as terrain goes, everybody's got to be qualified. doesn't matter if you're below sea level or obviously below sea. Yeah. Well, you can still, yeah. you're still below sea level and you're yeah, going, uh, Jordan, flying and everyone's got to do it when you're there. Um, yeah, so like that, I would say is like a, essentially a basic qualification. There's MVG low, so night gotcha. vision goggle low, yeah. which is holy like, crap! Night vision flying at Mach whatever with night yeah, vision. real 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 low. Um, wow! It's, and so wow. it's not something you do very often. Like we we all got re like no one was qualified in our squadron, right? It's one of those qualifications that, <clears throat> and even close air support for where we were, close sure. air support was not on our doc statement. It's one of those things that while it's, it can be a very, it's a very complex and dynamic environment when that's happening, we kind of chalk it away that, hey, like if we need to pull this, you know, book off the shelf, we'll do that. But doing defensive counter air and seed is so much more complex. This is where we're going to spend our time. This is our primary mission set. It's so our case, like the seed in the DCA book kind of got put up on the shelf, but we still needed that to a certain extent. Um when on this last deployment, but then close air sport was like, Hey, we got to get everyone two simulators. Uh, we got to get everyone at least like two rides. We're going to get everyone an MVG low ride. So it was like getting everyone, getting the instructors requalified and then getting, you know, the flight leads qualified and the wingman qualified all to do MVG low, uh, before the deployment. So all those things kind of get, get chipped away and knocked out. But when it comes to like weapons qualifications, so on our deployment, this is kind of another kind of unique one. GBU-39 is a 250, uh, 250 pound class bomb. The F-16 had not dropped them before we left. Uh, they dropped them in test. Uh, it's an awesome little weapon that can fly a great distance. And if you got Cat-1 coordinates for, you know, the southern window, third pane on the, you know, whatever story, like if you got good coordinates, like you can, you can put it through there. The overpressure wow. it creates is amazing. Um, yeah. But like there, we... We had one guy who was, uh, he was, yeah. Hey, this mission is calling for GBU 39s. We're going to load them up. You're selected to go out there and you're going to drop GBU 39s. Um, and then we started carrying GBU 39s. So, and then everyone's, <laughs> yeah, everyone's kind of like, Hey, you're re- you're reading about GBU 39s. 
you know, undoubtedly it's military. So there's a PowerPoint. Um, and, of you know, course. Yeah, okay. you know, and, and, and do that. But, and basic level, pretty much everyone, you know, when you get your mission ready wingman, uh, you're qualified on most of the weapons that you can drop. If there's something like a Maverick that you don't do very often, everyone will get requalified or get qualified on that. Flying around like Northern Afghanistan versus flying around Baghdad yeah. is very different. And some of that, like you're qualified. Um, you just, the experience level varies, right? And well, it's you're, a, you're always OJT. It's always on the job yeah. training. So you're qualified, but until you've done it, it's not, it, I think that goes with anything as far as yeah. uh, difficult, difficult training. You, you're always qualified, but until you actually do it, it's even walking up the side of, of the panchier, <laughs> in the panchier until you actually do it. And you have the shards of rock that look like glass. Yeah. You, you, ha, you don't know, but I, I'm sure it's the same, bro. I'm sure. It's, I mean, I, I can't imagine still, I'm, I'm not a pilot. I can't imagine how different it would be. I can't imagine. I just would never know, but I, I got to assume it, it's still once you're in theater and you do it, it's like, okay, I, you're, you're going to get it, but it's that first take it off. And okay, yeah, wow, this is, this is, this is weird. All right. This is going to be difficult, but then I'm sure everything just kicks in. And it just becomes second nature too. And every time, right. Like you learn something, you get a new tool for your tool bag. I can say yeah. I was actually flying in um, near Kobani and this is probably two months in our deployment. <laughs> so we're fairly familiar. It's relatively flat terrain or you, yeah. you had a pretty good baseline. Mm -hmm. Obviously there's no cell phone towers and you know, sky rises sitting up there, but it was a wet, it was a weather deck and we, had a pretty good estimate that the weather was like the, the tops of the cloud or bottom of the clouds were like at 2000 feet. We're above it. I was actually with a guy who he was a, a JTAC at one point. He went and did a, uh, a tour with the regiment. Came oh, wow. Back. Yeah. Yeah. We got so, great guys uh, that come live with us. They're yeah, true. I, I, love, I love them. Yeah. They, and, and down there is like, they couldn't generate coordinates and uh, they're taking a lot of fire. So he's like, Hey, how do you feel about, we'll just let down, we'll kind of self-create an approach and we let down uh, and just go screaming under the weather. And like, again, it's flat terrain. You wouldn't want to do that in Northern Afghanistan. Sure. Like, yeah, I can work out, but they're like, all right, Hey, based on experience being here, like you're kind of comfortable with it. Like we can smartly like do this, go make a lot of noise and maybe we'll be able to capture, you know, something in the targeting pod that we can get a mark on and come back around and do something with. So yeah, I know, everything is just, a, it's another tool to throw in the tool bag. Wow. Yeah, this is awesome talking to you because, as I said earlier, we don't really get to speak to a lot of guys with your experience. So it's it's definitely uh, a real treat to do this. I, I want to make sure we get into what you're doing now. I mean, as Chris said earlier, E3 Association, which people can visit at E3Association.com. There's going to be a lot more on the horizon at E3 Association on Instagram. Um, but the big thing that you've really been up to is the Afterburn podcast. Yeah. I have to say it's a natural transition because I'm sure Chris will agree with me. You have an awesome voice. You have a great setup, too. <laughs> I think you have the best voice of anyone we've had on you, before. So. Yeah, you, you've got I, that it, Barry White quiet storm voice, dude. I always say he does. <laughs> it, it makes sense that that's what you're doing. So how did the podcast come to be? I see that it's become really successful. And for people who want to check it out, yeah, get into what you're doing with Afterburn. Well, I mean, I appreciate the kind words. There's obviously a lot more guys with a lot more experience than me. I just got a little fraction of it. Uh, but, but you I, have the voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's practicing the radio voice. That's the main thing. You got to sound cool on the radio. I, I had a uh, uh, sidebar and I'll tell it. I'm, I'm good at sidebars. Um, <laughs> no, we are too. So. <laughs> one of my first, so I was a T6 instructor. I was brand new. I was a lieutenant. I came back my first, essentially like one of my first students that was assigned to me. 
we're out flying and we went to a, a, an airfield that was further out. We normally don't go to, uh, but we had to go there. And so we're coming back and then, you know, T6 is, I mean, essentially brand new. There's like no problems, like no, no, no big issues or known issues. You're always worried about the engine quitting, but that's about it. So coming back, I see the fuel flow just starts jumping around. Well, fuel flow jumping around is not a good thing, especially in a jet, let alone one that only has one engine. <laughs> so uh, we, we start climbing to get on profile to come back and land. So undoubtedly best landing in my life, yada, yada, yada. We get on the ground safely, but my student, you know, at the end we're debriefing, like, what was the most, what was the most important thing you learned in that whole experience? And he goes, well, always have a, always have a plan. I said, no, he's like, you got to sound cool on the radio because if you don't make it, <laughs> that recording is going to be played in front of thousands of people for eternity. And that's how you're going to be remembered. So you got to sound cool to the last, to the, to the point of impact. You better sound cool. You got like that, like Bill Burr, when you're on that plane in the turbulence, man, <laughs> Squish that shit down. Be a man. <laughs> Push that shit down. I, I, you know, I got. I, I know. I know. We're going along. We're, we're going a little bit long. We'll, we'll catch you here in a second. And we got to get into his podcast. Yeah, got to well, get in the podcast. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get in the podcast. Get in the pod. And then I got two, just two things to ask you, and then we'll let you go. No, no, it's, I, I, I enjoy it. Like obviously, talking and doing this stuff is a lot of fun. That's really like where the podcast came from. My last two years, I mentioned doing demo. I met a lot of incredible people. Not that I didn't meet a lot of incredible people. Uh, during my, my air force, like tactical days, if you will, cause I brought them on the podcast, but meeting all those people, I kind of had like the aha moment of like, there's so many stories out there and everyone has a story that if you don't have a medium to capture it, you know, other than, uh, you know, an Instagram picture or whatever it is like there's having this long form format, I think is really uh, important to go out there and try and capture the story. So, uh, Again, I couldn't, I've joked about it before. Like I couldn't spell podcast, but I mentioned him. I was like, I think I'm gonna start a podcast. I had no, like, no idea. A uh, good friend of mine uh, who, Matt Jolly, uh, has Warbird Radio. He, he's an air show announcer. He knew, you know, he knows this world. He kind of is like, hey, you need to buy this, this and that, do this. Is he uh, the guy it, who does the Jones Beach Air Show? Or, or Matt, he, he has done it. Him, Rob Ryder. Um, is he an older guy? Like Rob Ryder, I think, did it. I was thinking like Rob, so Rob has a phenomenal voice. He was in Shawshank Redemption. He has a small part in that. Uh, but he, I think, I have to look. I think Rob does Jones Beach. Because uh, there's several kind of key air show announcers that go around the country. And they all tend to return to the same show. Like they all kind of, they're all friends. Yeah, the guy they who all does Jones Beach is amazing. He yeah. is. And, and that's the thing. If you go to an air show, the announcer makes it. I feel like they, they, they really, they, you, cause you don't know what you're watching unless you have yep. that guy really guiding you through it. But yeah, back to what you were saying with, in terms of the stories, because actually I want to jump in there and just say real quick, I do think it's important because the guys that Chris and I have talked to and, and the guys I talked to with like my former jobs and everything, yeah, it's so awesome that you have hours and hours of content of these guys. And that's why it's cool when we bring on a Vietnam veteran because they didn't have that outlet. Yeah. And the very few remaining World War II veterans, yeah, like we got to get these stories out there. It was unheard of for these guys to write books back then. Yep. So to get them on podcasts, I think is so important. But yeah, back to what you're saying about uh, Afterburn and what you're doing. That's, I mean, and that's really, I mean, that's it. I kind of like, hey, uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to do a podcast, you know, I had my buddy, Matt kind of help me out, get going. I couldn't come up with a name. Um, I recorded my, 
like first two episodes one was uh with my buddy loco is an f-22 guy he actually just took over a f-22 squadron it was so terrible it's like loco man i can't release this uh like my audios like i don't know what i'm doing like it would be a disservice we still need to re-record that episode at some point um but then it's trying to figure it out like you know again the setup and the editing and all that is a, is a whole new world to me but i mean inherently that's that's kind of it's pretty simple like i think being able to capture these stories, I don't think I've done a great job. I, you know, I was like, I want to get more Vietnam guys. I've had two Vietnam guys on my podcast, but as you said, like, you know, they didn't write books. There wasn't yeah. this twenty four seven news outlet. There wasn't all this social media where guys are sharing what's going on. Um, and obviously, it's a very different time. I had one um, Hank Dietering on uh, very recently. I mean, this guy, you know, he was a Marine, like close quarter combat. You know, his like, like the Marines, like. Hey, guess you're still a rifleman. So you know, he's flying A4s and A6s in Vietnam, bounce between those. And oh, by the way, like defending the base when the you know it gets yeah. breached, you know, and like, man, it's sporty. So capturing those stories, otherwise they just go unheard and untold. And that, you know, kind of Tonto brought up too, like challenges, like that's another aspect. All these, everyone has gone through challenges. So being able to hear what these people have done and accomplished undoubtedly someone they've had some kind of challenge and overcome and the last one i guess the last name dropped caleb brewer who's a green beret i had on my podcast i met caleb while i was doing i did the huntington beach air show i've never surfed i wanted to learn how to surf we had like five days off in huntington beach california amazing people uh we had several people like hey we'll take you surfing so i had a team of 12 guys we show up at like 7 a.m after the air show like the next day like the fire chief was out there. who was like getting his morning surf in. Like, like, what are you guys doing? He's like, well, I'll help teach. We had like six people just randomly start helping us teach. And I'm over there. I am paddling as hard as I can. I'm dying. Like I'm going to drown here. This is the end. This is where it's over. Caleb is over there on his surfboard surfing. So Caleb, he stepped on a pressure plate IED in Afghanistan, lost uh, wow. uh, legs below the knees. He's a big adaptive fitness guy now. Uh, Caleb Brewer, great great individual was like super inspiring to me but i'm like man this like to me these are the stories that yeah. need to get out because i can have a really Sounds like a guy time. we have to have on yeah, yeah i, yeah, I connect you guys because caleb is a great great dude uh but it's like if i ever kind of feel bad or like down on myself or like oh this is like hard like like suck it up buttercup like caleb like to me that seems like a very challenging thing i can't imagine going through that trauma rebounding and then you know he's very successful now and is doing a lot of great things. So to me, that to, to me, he's inspiring and being able yeah. to hear his story is very cool. No, I feel yeah. the same thing when we have guys on like Matt Waters or Mike Schlitz or Ilana Duffy who have lost limbs. I, I, I think Chris does too. I mean, I, yeah. I'm totally inspired by those stories. Persevere. Uh, you know, you teach the, the stories of overcoming adversity are, yeah. are, are everywhere within the veteran community and just everywhere within society. But it does with the veterans, I think, puts things in perspective, too, when you're having a bad day. Now, we all have bad days. I'm not going to downplay somebody on their bad day just because they've lost a limb. They haven't lost a limb. Say, oh, no, you just need to suck it. Right. I'm not. We all go through things yeah. differently. But it does give at least some perspective that and also shows that you can overcome it. You can overcome whatever you're going through. Uh, yep. You just have to be have, have the mindset to do it. Um, my two things, brother, and I do want to have you on because we really didn't get into any. I wanted to t see if there was any special mission you did and that stuck out with you in Iraq or Afghanistan. Oh shit, we got time. When do you when do you got to go? 
What do you got? Yeah, if you if you want to chat, I mean, let's let's chat. Right, we'll get, give me about ten more minutes because we'll do, yeah. we'll do a couple questions. This yeah. first one's first. The first Top Gun. Can you really do inverted and flip some dude off? Is that possible over anything other plane? You know, that seriously, because that's not. I don't. I, I think I don't think that's possible. But nobody's ever told me for sure. Is there the, a, the I, I couldn't do it. I'm not that skilled. I will is say it, I is did the plane a lot. Capable? Of, Does the plane have that ability? You uh, so flying inverted is super uncomfortable. Before I was the demo pilot, I had a buddy. Uh, we went out and we fought, and he was like, "Hey, let's let's see if we can." You know, as we cruise out of the airspace, be inverted. I, it is super uncomfortable and terrible. I got a lot of videos out there on YouTube now. Uh, and at the time, like I got very comfortable just being inverted. And so I would hang inverted. Now flipping inverted, you know, three feet from another plane, yeah. I could not do it. I'll say um, Frank Wisner, he was Blue Angel. I guess the Blue Angels do like narrator, then six, five. That's kind of how they progress through it. So uh, Frank, he did... Did that progression, went away. Uh, the Blue Angels had a crash. He came back and did it again. And it's kind of funny, yeah, like him not wanting to do it. But he actually, like he was the guy, like the low stuff in Top Gun, like where they're going like over the yeah. desert. That's him. Um, wow. He he can do that. Like Blue Angel, I don't know if it's five or six, whoever flips inverted, like they do that. That's their deal. Uh, the Thunderbirds do it side by side. So when like looking at the crowd, like it looks like they're inverted, but they're separated. My wife was actually the other day, like so F-16s, uh, it's side stick doesn't move. It moves like a tenth of an inch. Um, so the challenge with that versus the F-18, the F-18, the Blue Angels, they actually weight the stick. So you always have to have positive, okay. a positive pull on the stick allows for more finesse. It's also a lot more work when, you know, always like maintaining sure. that. With F-16, if you want a 9G pull, it takes about 25 pounds to command 9Gs if you're at the appropriate speed. But what does 25 pounds feel like? Like, is it this? Is it that? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. So I'm saying, like, I'm trying to rip the stick off every time I'm trying to pull 9Gs. But now when you come in close and you're doing that, like, you don't have that feedback. So you can't get as close, I don't think. The Blue Angels fly a lot closer than the Thunderbirds. The, okay. you know, the fly-by-wire, the flickus of the F-16 and kind of prevents it and kind of do some squirrely stuff. You still can, I mean, three feet still pretty close when you're talking about. I would say, I, wow. I, that's why I, I thought maybe you're after wash or, or something that would, would cause it. Cause you're that close. I, I was moving, but that's cool to know that the plane can do that close inversion yeah, you, and you can take a Polaroid and all that other cool stuff. Yeah. If, you, if you're a good enough pilot, which is not me, could do that for sure. Well, yeah. but, but now this one's a little bit more serious and this is kind of a personal question for me. Um, you know, when we were in, in Libya and we were trying to reach, we were actually in contact with 555th fighter wing. Yeah. I don't know if you have any buddies there. I don't know what you can talk about, but we knew that they were moving and then they got stopped. I mean, it just was like, buzz. it was like a beehive just going yeah. crazy. And all of a sudden that beehive just disappeared and it was just silence. Do you, I, I have an, I, I mean, I know why it happened. Yeah. Do you know any of your buddies there? that were there that can even give any more information or you've talked to, or even their feelings of, cause I, I, you guys don't leave us guys on the ground behind you. You, you don't. And I, I, I know you don't, I know it probably hurt a lot of them, but is there any information just even for me personally that you can give without, I don't want to get you in trouble. You know, I don't give a shit. I, I yeah. could care less about the agency or any of that anymore. If they, if they already hate me enough, but, um, I just, my personal, just so I can always gain more closure in what took place and what didn't. Do you know what happened or do you have any information of what 
took place and what they were taught, what guys were being told on the ground as they were getting spun up to, to come to us. And, and I know where they're at. We, that was our cure for element. Yep. I knew there was an element at Suda Bay as well. I do know there were at least two planes there because that's where we would stay before we'd go into Libya. I, their planes were right there. And that was our job as, as operators is to know where our QF elements were. Um, do you know, was there Sigonella elements? I know there was a MU there, a Marine Expeditionary yeah. Force that was trying to, and also Spain, and the SIF team was coming out of Croatia. But if you don't, you don't. But do you have anything maybe uh, help, help me gain some closure on that stuff? So I don't have any firsthand knowledge of that. So everything I'm going to say would is is assumptions and my my best guess. I do. I have one buddy, one of my weapons officers. He actually just took charge of the squadron. He, I mean, he. The gamblers were in Libya. They're on their way to Red Flag, and they turn around, and then sure. they were in Libya for for the actual, you know, I guess, yeah, approved conflict, yeah. right? Um, approved conflict. Uh, then. You know, I, I can, here's the, like my best guess. Cause I set alert several times, like when we're down in Horn Africa, set alert launch you as you have an idea, right? Uh, you know, the unit you're working for, you know, the guys on the ground, but then there's so many things in between you and the cockpit and, and whoever's making the decision to say go. So those filters is my guess is they probably got told like, yeah, it's a cancel. Like they don't need us. Right. Wow. Because, you know, like they're not, you know, it, it wasn't on, you know, they don't have a live yeah. feed and they're not seeing it, you know, it'd be a different story that you're, if you're hearing the radio chatter and these guys are getting overrun, like that's a whole different, like that's, I guess when you hear the, that's when guys tend to yeah. make, a, make a career decision, you know, at that point. But my, I mean, my guess, if there was guys sitting alert in Sigonella or Suda Bay or, or you know, wherever they might've been sitting, that to them it was they got put on you know a certain alert status and then never got alerted you know so they're unfortunately they're probably at the gym right because they just yeah that information it's at decisions being made you know at the chaos i mean that's you know obviously the the politics that go into it and then the, the yeah. four stars three star whoever is in that decision tray they're probably getting told by you know their boss now it's it's not a go so i think yeah, that's well. That's that, that's just no. You don't have to go expound any more on that because that's that's Aviano. Aviano was our base. We knew where they're at. That's what our job is. We know where where yep. the main head is, and we know where all the detachments are and all the other guys are at because we are such a small element that if we get attacked by a big element, we can't defend them for long periods of time. There's only a few of us, so I, that's what I. That's 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 I, I'm. I assume that as well. I still would like always, and I have my ideas of who gave gave the stand down yeah. order. But um, yeah, man, that's just it, it. helps me just to kind of still. I'm still always putting pieces together. Yeah, really there, trying to put it all together. And I think with that, there's always those things <laughs> that um, I think there are plenty of stories. I got several buddies who have they have hung it out there and they've thrown the rule book to the wayside yeah. because guys need them, and and every time, you know, like there's a lot of really heroic stories out there of guys dipping into the valley in weather in Afghanistan because guys are cut off surrounded and they're going to get overrun and they're going to do whatever they can to stop that. Um, and so I think with like that awareness, and again, our former OG, he was uh, 05 when Libya 
kicked off. Remember, there was an F-15 that went down. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the Libyan and Benghazi. Actually, that's what we were getting ready to christen the English-speaking school, American Corner. Hillary was going to come in to meet that guy that saved the pilot. We were actually doing all the really? all the all the preparation to make sure it was safe. Yeah, there was a picture of her on the wall of that guy that saved the pilot. He was yeah, opening yeah. up the, called the American Corner, and that's one of the reasons Ambassador Stevens was there at that time as well. Yeah, I remember that. Well, <laughs> I mean, again, it kind of comes to the. Uh, I know someone ended up strafing to kind of keep guys away from him that shouldn't have been strafing, and um, I don't know. I just want to say I had in my 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 story this does not even compare to anything. Right. So that's, here's the next oh, thing. It's like the, yeah. um, we were in, again, we're at Kobani and I was with uh, my squadron commander at the time and shows of force were no longer allowed for a certain period of time. So ISIS after like war kicked off, like we hammered them. And then about like three months later, they started finding more AAA from the Iraqis. So there actually was a limited air threat and then they found a bunch of SA seven. So now, they're doing that. So we, and then a Dutch F-16 took a 7.62 round through the intake. GE wow. motor just kept chewing it up. So there you go, GE. Um, so we stopped doing, I think we stopped doing shows of force unless it was required. Like guys, like that was the only option and stopped doing yo-yo ops. So yo-yo ops is where you got two, you know, you're out there as a formation. Um, one guy's going to go to the tanker while one guy stays on station. And if stuff's happening, can drop bombs and then, yeah, you're high five and back and forth. So someone's always on station. Yeah. We stopped doing, stopped doing that. Uh, we had a Jordanian pilot go down who got captured by ISIS and subsequently he was murdered. Uh, so we kind of said, Hey, you know, based on the limited number of Americans on the ground or coalition members were you know, essentially supporting YPG, like the risk doesn't warrant that. Now you can do it if you need to, but I said, we found ourselves doing shows of force one day, but like they knew there was an SA seven in the area uh, that they picked up on the ICOM chatter, but we yeah, still did it. Right. Cause they need it. It's like, Hey, it's warranted. Like you're, you're going to make this, we're going to throw the rule book out. Right. And I guess there's like a little asterisk saying you better have a good reason for doing it. Um, and I think inherently most fighter pilots are that way. Like yeah. you, you're the things are usually through the floor and it's magic. It's a matter of like making sure that they go through the floor at the appropriate point for the right reason and doing that. So subsequently wow. B1 got shot at about two hours later. So I was like, mm, that was maybe that was maybe wasn't the smartest thing. But I I, I don't doubt the guys. And I, we didn't have direct comms with them. We had comms with whoever the HQ was on the on the main 10 alpha. So I I I just didn't know if they had actually knew. I guess finding out did they somebody actually tell they knew what was going on or the, the lead squadron commander knew and then they were just told, now you're not going, and this is why. And I, I would love to know if there was ever that conversation just to just for closure. So I'm going to place blame. I know who to play. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't make a difference, but I know we know who the fault was, right. but it even just helps me. It's like, okay, they did know. Um, and those guys were really just, they, they were, they were going to come and they, some head shed said, no, nope, you're not going. And I do know about throwing out the rule book. We threw out the rule book to leave yeah. ourselves and we, you know, we lost our jobs because of, but it was still the right thing to do. I don't know a pilot that wouldn't do that if they knew what was going on and they heard the radio. We need you. We need you. We need you. I, I don't know any pilot that I've never heard of one that didn't come to the aid of somebody that needed them. It's like, I have never been in that scenario. Right. But I would like to think that if I was in facing that scenario, like to me, it's like, I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. Right. Like what was, <laughs> what's going to keep me awake at night. And it's like, 
if I'm letting yeah. Americans die, that's that's not where I want to be. So I don't know. Well, and again, I try to like think back that time period. You know, I don't know when the dust settled that enough information got out to the public of what had happened. If undoubtedly their guys, if they were sitting alert that either the next day or six months then became aware of what sure. happened. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah I, I just, my two questions and that that's really it. As far as questions go, I just want to say, Oh, one more thing, I guess on the ether, I want to make sure we, we touch on that. I know you're doing, it'll probably come out later, but E3 aviation, what is that? And what can it, what, what's it going to, to do what are is there anything for the members can you talk a little bit about d3 and then bro then i'll let then i'm done then you, yeah you can go <laughs> well i'll be honest, it is is super in the early stages brian uh and steve talking about the launch and i don't know if it's going to happen the q4 of this year or q1 of next year i know there's sure. uh, we i think we're all kind of we're all really excited about it because so steve uh civilian pilot background but i mean flies all over the place and has a wealth of knowledge as I mentioned he had a gear problem yesterday but he you know, like trucking back and forth to Bahamas doing stuff that, you know, it's a little bit different than like what I do or have done. Like I'm always flying, you know, I now fly big old planes, but um, you know, in F-16, like you're following the tanker wherever you're going. It's, and they've planned, they've planned, they're talking on the radio to the different controllers. They got dip clearances, et cetera. He's like planning flights into the Bahamas and these other countries and stuff, just like, <laughs> doing cool stuff. He's got an awesome YouTube channel out there with a ton of followers and just produces a lot of aviation content. So blending kind of the military and the civilian aviation side of the house together. And then I have a big interest in general aviation. I started flying when I was 16. So I'm trying to get back into that. So there might be some like, you know, me going through, learning how to do some of the basics again, which would be kind of fun to watch me stumble through. But yeah, sharing our, sharing our aviation knowledge experience, bringing people together who just have a wealth of knowledge to share. I'm, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. And will the members get a fly? I mean, is there going to be po- possibility where you can, they can go through classes and possibly I, learn how to and, and get their pilot's licenses? I think like everything is on the table right now. That's so awesome. I, I, everything is on the table. Cause again, we want to create the best, you know, experience, especially yeah. for aviation enthusiasts. And I think that's, you know, from cradle to grave, that's from just talking about stories to actually going out there and flying and doing it. So uh, it'll be pretty, I'm, I'm excited about it. This oh, is, awesome. yeah, it'll be, it'll be very cool. Awesome. You know, yes, if we can I'll go ahead, Ian. I'm sorry. I, no, I, I mean, if you have, I was just going to say it's in the early stages and I just want to make sure we keep plugging it. E3association.com. And we can, if we can marry that up where we've got the firearms teams here and you're out there and we can get to Harvey Point or somewhere like that. Yeah. And I can start teaching cast missions with you guys. Yeah, wouldn't that yeah. be great? That would be awesome. members, we're going to teach wouldn't, you how to call our support. Wouldn't that be awesome? Do some <laughs> nine lines back and forth. That would be so, <laughs> so sweet. We're coming together. The E3 Farms <laughs> Aviation Experience. For this week only, weekend only, we're going to teach you how to drop GBUs on small yeah. targets. <laughs> oh, you know how many signups we'd have? We'd have the members. We oh. would have enough space for the members. Yeah. Oh, man. That'd be fun. Yeah, it, I'm excited about this. It's a, it's a really cool opportunity. I know that, uh, yeah. I don't know, it, it, it's it's something that's pretty unique and to be a part of it's awesome. It is. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm very proud. And it was very, it was very cool to hear that you're on. I, that's what Brian said. Hey, yeah, John's coming on. Who, who's, oh, he's this F-16. I got you. That's all you need to say. All right. <laughs> but, but bro, I appreciate it. And thank you for being candid on the things you talked about. And you know, yeah. thank you for, for, for humoring me with the, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just I, I know there's things you can talk about. I don't ever. Th- I didn't think less of any of the pilots or any of the guys 
that were trying to respond to us. It just, it does help me, always going to help me get more closure and yes. just find out what's going on, what, what actually was said uh, from the guys that were, that were there, that we were, we were trying to reach. And so I appreciate that, bro. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, I wish I wish I knew more. I wish I had better answers. I just know that I, I can. I think I can honestly say that if anyone, you know, sitting in a jet that yeah. had heard that going on, it'd be a, it'd be a different story. Um, yeah. And you saw like these, all these C seventeen crews. They just actually out of New York because uh, Ian, you're up in New York, right? Uh, currently yeah. in Connecticut, but originally okay. New York. I'm 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 right there. I'm thirty. Oh, about the same yeah. spot. But Newburgh, uh, New York, which I did a show there. Ironically enough, C seventeen guard unit. They just uh, awarded. Uh, crew with a bunch of air medals with valor and then one distinguished flying cross for these guys who took a 160th um, bird into Kabul when like six C-17s turned around wow. when it was falling and 20 operators because their mission was to go out there and pick up stranded uh, Afghans and Americans that needed to get back to evacuate. So these dudes went in there and then um, you know, everyone and their brother has seen all the videos that came out of yeah. uh, you know, Karzai International there with. Oh, yeah. So. That, that those guys hung it out there for sure. That's that's awesome. Yeah. No, that's a good story. Good story here. Maybe get one. If we can find one of those guys from that mission, I'd love to have him on talk yeah. about that. I, I just got one guy's name. I'll, I'm actually going to reach out to him. I'll try to see if I can get get someone to. You have him first. He's your guy. You, you take him first. <laughs> we'll, we'll it's it's good to again. It, it's good to capture these stories and hear it. You know, it, otherwise it's just a blip. Uh, yeah. Best case scenario on the news, maybe a picture, but there's so much more that when you start yeah. throwing back the onion, that is Definitely. worth. And, yeah. yeah. And I, I also think it's good that all these uh, and, you know, D who edits our video has said it, you know, all these military podcasts are collaborating together. And I think it helps all of us, you know, because I think all of us are trying to expand our audience. But in terms of E3, <laughs> just looking at the website now for those interested I mean, it's not just firearms and aviation. It's you're going to have E3 off road, E3 firearms, of course, E3 overland, E3 camping, and E3 aviation. So this is going to be great. Um, for those of you who want to check out the podcast, of course, it's the Afterburn Podcast. It's available everywhere. Theafterburnpodcast.com. You can follow John on Instagram at rainwaters27. We really appreciate you going long here with us. Like, Thanks, this was buddy. awesome. A lot of great Thank stories. You. you might have seen me taking notes as we're doing this. And it's because, you know, I'll, I'll timestamp whatever we're going to put on Instagram or YouTube. And there's so much here that we're going to have to put up more than just one little clip here or there. Because <laughs> I think between the Top Gun stories and the combat stories, there's just a lot here. This is, I mean, this is, this interview is exactly why we do this podcast. Like, I think people who listen, this is what they listen for. I, I'm sorry. I'm not ignoring you. I'm, I'm following you now. That's right. That's right. I'll forget when we walk away. Like, oh shit, he, we're done. I'm gonna look on my phone. I'm so actually, I, yeah, I wanted to follow you. So I, I hadn't followed you yet on Instagram, so I just did. Awesome. No, I, I appreciate it. The uh, this was fun. So I enjoyed it. Tonto, I know. I think we'd schedule next week. I need to follow up with you. Yeah, if, just if, if, if just shoot me the link. Well, yeah, I'm I'm good to go. I just need need the if, if I don't have it yet, I'll check my calendar. But if you don't resend me the link, and okay, I'm around. Like, I'm going actually down to Benning. I'm gonna go down to the regiment. Uh, uh, are you Wednesday? Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. So, what, well, I'm, I'm working. At, uh, you know, Brad Thomas at all? So he was. Yeah, he was a ranger. I, yeah I know. Everybody, everybody knows of Brad. I've met yeah. him, but I've never served him. But yeah, Brad. Yeah, Brad. So I, I had Brad. I had Brad on the podcast, and then um, we got another. We kind of have a project in the works right now, um, which I can't, I can't spill the beans on it just yet. But 
going down uh, with him. Um, another guy, we're kind of playing some things out. We got a big project we're kind of putting together, which would be a podcast for him. Um, and so I, I've never, I've never been down there. So I'll be the Air Force guy. They're like, hey, this is oh, awesome. Yeah, hey, throw us Brad. I don't have Brad's info. Can you throw Ian Brad? Because I'd like to have Brad yep. on. I love what you yep. love having other Rangers on. Yeah, Brad. Brad's been around a long time, and he's to me, he's another legend. That's Ranger legend. That that talk the talk and walk the walk. So I'd love yeah. to have him on as well. Yeah. He's Absolutely. a tremendous Ranger. Yeah. Thanks, well, thanks Ben. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'll be in touch. All I need from you is like a high resolution photo. Uh, there's probably some on your website though. And and that's really it. Well, yeah. Whatever you need. I, I mean, I, I got plenty of photos. So <laughs> <laughs> just, perfect. Hey, hey, and for us, if you need yeah, to guess, hit us up, I will give you all our, our military guests too, that we've had on that would, you know, so uh, you just let us know if you need some need names. We'll get them. I'm I'm open book always. I'm kind of I've been hiatus. I'm getting back into it and starting to crank away right. at, at these things. So, um, yeah, it'll be good. I'll hit you up. Yeah. And, okay, bro. Yeah, let me know if you want to look at any like look at our shows. If there's anyone in uh, particular, yeah, okay, you know, cool, awesome. All Thanks right, again, man. Right. I'm gonna do. I'll do a quick outro with Chris. So we'll okay. uh, we'll stay on here. But uh, yeah, you're good. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Appreciate it. Awesome, everybody. Thanks, guys. I, I love that interview with Rain because of the fact, and maybe one day we'll learn why he goes by Rain. But <laughs> but uh, in terms of the fact is, as I said earlier, I, I haven't talked to a lot of guys with his background. So he was, as you said, very candid and had some great stories. And I think that's why people tune in. So oh, he's great, great, great guy. And pilots are, I love to have pilots on too. We don't get a lot of them. I don't think there's a lot of them on. He'll probably have more than anybody because of the, that because of the line of work he was in in the, the brotherhood on that side of the house, but I, just a great guy, man. And the E3 well, aviation thing, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do on that side. That's going to be really cool. Yeah. On my list of guys to have on Dan Hampton has been on there, you know, and we'll get him on at some point, but th- like just on this show alone, right. I think we mentioned like seven guys we have to have yeah. on and yeah, we no. only do one show a week. So it's just, it's, I, people need to realize it's so hard to get everyone on that we want to get on, but we'll, we we'll get oh, to everyone will. eventually. We and then there's eventually. part two guys we want to get. I want to get a part two with Max Mullen. We're going to have a yeah. part two with Brad Thor next month. We're going to have a part two with Sean Lake next month. So yeah. there, there's plenty of uh, just great guests. But uh, before we go, I know you wanted to mention the Fort Scott giveaway because they're, they're really our number one sponsor. They keep us going more than anyone else. And uh, yeah, let's let's just well, at least well, as you, ex- you experience with the Kraft family, they're just great people. Yeah, I mean, you saw them up there. I, I think that's anything. But yeah, they're just doing, we're doing a little. I say we, but we're part of it. Battle Line is part of it uh, as we donated stuff for the giveaway. It's just a uh, giveaway of a bunch of equipment. You buy something, you're in for a drawing. Go to Fort Scott Munitions. Go to their website. Uh, find find uh, find the entry there, and then the rules are there. The ten thousand dollar copper ticket giveaway, and it's just a bunch of gear. Ammo, of course, I've Battleline donated. Vortex is a sponsor of Battleline Tactical. Love Vortex's optics. Well, we donated a Vortex optic for that, plus sign, of course, sign books and sign hats and things like that. So, uh, but yeah, go to $10,000 copper ticket giveaway. Just search that or you can go on my website. There's an email that is coming out from me that you can actually click on that. It'll take you to the rules and what you need to purchase. Uh, guys, we understand things are tough right now for completely understand that um so you know don't spend money you don't have but if if you have a little bit and you want to enter for a cool giveaway of a lot of cool gear uh just that would be one i would recommend you go to and of course free ammunition um if you get if you're one of the winners and you know ammo is not cheap anymore 
nothing's cheap anymore. What am I saying? No. But <laughs> ammo especially. So yeah, just just check it out and yeah, I, I enter and buy something, enter and I hope you win. Somebody will win and Absolutely, maybe we'll yeah. have the winner on the show. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a chat with the winner and have a chat with him. So uh, yeah, check it out, guys, and uh, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please. We could really use your reviews. If you're watching on YouTube, leave us comments. We read all that stuff. Subscribe to us. Uh, if you're listening, go on the YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube. And uh, that's all I've got. We've got another great show in the works for next week. So every Monday, keep uh, keep listening. We couldn't do it without you guys. Yeah, God bless you. And keep passing us around, guys. Post us on all your social media uh, and, and wherever else we need new listeners. We love having new listeners. So keep pushing our name around there, and we'll keep doing what we're doing. And we do appreciate you. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. Guys. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.